Thank you, thank you. Uh, hoping you can all hear me well. <laughs> um, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge that sh this should have been Phil Gully talking this morning, um, but as we said earlier, he's been very unwell this week. So I asked if I could talk in his place. Uh, seeing as when I was too unwell to talk on Mothering Sunday, I asked Tim Perver to preach at incredibly short notice. You would have thought I had a spare sermon tucked up under my sleeve, but, but no. This one is specially for today, and what I'd planned for Mothering Sunday will just have to wait a while longer. Now, the other Sunday, as I do on so many Sundays, I took time out to listen to the Radio 4 Sunday worship. And on one particular Sunday, it was led by the Reverend Philip Blackledge from Melrose in the Scottish Borders, and a lot of what I'm going to share this morning was actually inspired by that service. But I also wanted to share a sense of what I'm sensing at the moment, both within myself and from others. Now, this last year has been an odd one. Personally, it has had some incredible highs alongside some moments of poignancy. At times, I've actually felt guilty as amid so much public loss and grief, I've quite enjoyed lockdown. And at other times, I felt restrained and restricted to the point of frustration. So this morning, I want to talk along two themes. One is perspective, and one is of journeying. And although they are two separate things, I'm going to entwine them. But first, by the wonders of modern technology, I want to share a photo with you all. Uh, and Jeff has been prompted for this. Um, it's a, a photo of my youngest grandson, Khalid. Um, hopefully he'll be turning up now. There you are. He was born just before Christmas and Peter and I had the incredible privilege that his mum, our daughter Katrina, stayed with us for the first three and a half months of his life. They're back in Tanzania now and Katrina sent me this photo and I love how a picture can say a thousand words and this one sums up perspective. Obviously my daughter and my grandson have very different perspectives of the same situation. <laughs> so there we go. Anyway, thank you, Jeff. So today, I'm going to revisit the story of the two travellers on the road to Emmaus. It appears in two of the Gospels, but the most detail appears in the book of Luke. So that's where I'll read from. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now in the past, the main thing I picked up from this passage is how amazing it would be if we could actually have a copy of that conversation. But today, I want to look at it from a slightly different perspective. Firstly, only one of the two companions is mentioned, Cleopas. Who is he? He's obviously a follower of Jesus, being familiar with the action of Jesus, taking the bread, giving thanks, and then breaking it, for that is when their eyes were opened. They also had heard the resurrection story, so they were a part of the group that followed Jesus. In the Radio 4 sermon I listened to, Philip Blackledge, the speaker, thought of them as husband and wife. Now this interested me, so I dug a little deeper. And it turns out that a great many Bible scholars think that Cleopas was actually the brother of Joseph, Jesus's father. So effectively, Cleopas could have been Jesus's uncle. Now, Professor Richard Bauchman, the biblical scholar at the University of Cambridge, talks about this in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he, like so many Bible scholars before him, drew this inference from the writings of a first century Christian writer called Hegesippus. Now, I'm going to just flip back into the account of the crucifixion now in John 19.25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So we have his mother Mary and her sister also Mary, wife of Clopas. Now we know from Hegesippus's writings that Joseph's brother was called Cleopas. And we can assume that these two sisters are not both called Mary. So maybe this other Mary was actually a sister-in-law through her marriage to Cleopas, Jesus's uncle. Clopas and Cleopas might well be different spellings of the same name. So it's not too unreasonable to assume that Cleopas and his wife Mary were on the way back to Emmaus after watching the horror of their nephew being crucified. No wonder their faces were downcast. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Psalm 42, 5, Psalm 42, 11, Psalm 43, 5. The same scriptures. Three times this refrain is repeated. And any English teacher worth their salt will tell us that if something is repeated three times, we're meant to remember it and take note. Questioning, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? And an answer, 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. An action that happens in spite of the circumstance. <laughs> Far easier said than done. But these two were on a journey. Now let's take a moment to look at that journey. Emmaus no longer exists. It's assumed it's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. So here we have Cleopas and his companion. I'm going to say wife, probably the aunt and uncle of Jesus. Close, but not part of the inner 11, was 12, but now no Judas. They saw the agony. They felt the pain, the reaction, the horror. And now what? All four gospels record that the angel at the tomb spoke to the women who discovered the empty grave. In Matthew and Mark, they specifically state that the angel told the women that Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee and will meet them there. But here, on the road to Emmaus, not the road to Galilee, we find a broken couple trudging, discussing all they have seen. Disillusioned. Are they heading home to familiarity, to comfort, to try and make sense of it all? They have heard the story of the resurrection. They, they've heard the women's account. But this is head knowledge. It has no bearing on their disposition. They are downcast. And I want to come away from the Bible for a moment and ask us all that. Are we trudging, marking time, a little disillusioned? How has this last year affected us? Maybe we are having to reset our hopes, our dreams. Now we're emerging from lockdown. Is the world looking a little different? As many of you know, I teach in a local further education college. On the return to classroom last month, one of my students was particularly agitated. I asked her if she was afraid of catching COVID. Oh no, she replied, that doesn't bother me at all. I simply can't cope with being around so many people. It overwhelms me and makes me anxious. Her journey was bewildering. Her journey was unique. It was not the same as my journey, yet it was born out of the same circumstances. Who joined this frightened pair heading in the wrong direction relying only on the things they had seen. We know it was our risen Lord Jesus, but they were kept from recognizing him, him. How often do we not recognize the move of God in our own lives, so consumed by what we see, our immediate? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Yet Jesus did not just throw this at them. He spent time walking with them in the wrong direction, opening and explaining scripture to them. But first he asked them what was wrong. I think we can all agree that being Jesus, being raised from the dead and all that, he already knew the answer. But still, he gave them that dignity. What are you discussing as you walk along? Do we afford each other that same dignity? Do we take time out to go in a different direction? To get alongside someone and ask them, what are you thinking about? What's troubling you? Why are you downcast? And wait for the answer. Are we honest enough when someone comes alongside us and asks, why are you troubled? To talk with them, allow them to listen to us and wait for their reply. 
Now, many of you know Keith and Pat, and many of you know that Keith's brother and sister-in-law were murdered in horrific circumstances many years ago. Initially, Keith was plunged into a different place, a journey he had not expected to take, and certainly not one he would have chosen. This week, I called Keith and I asked him about the early part of his journey through grief, anger and pain, and what had helped. Keith said two people in particular had really helped. He and Hugh had had long walks and Hugh had listened, often allowing Keith to talk himself out and draw his own conclusions. But Hugh had physically and spiritually journeyed with Keith. At times, no doubt, Keith would have been going in the wrong direction. He wasn't best pleased with God, but Hugh walked with him, listening. The other person was Pat, again, long walks and listening. Keith commented that Pat only offered her opinions if he asked for them. She listened. And when he was ready, Keith listened to what she had to say, listened to her perspective. And that brings me back to perspective. Cleopas and his wife only had the perspective of the immediate. Jesus opened their eyes to something bigger, something too wonderful them to comprehend something they had chosen to walk away from, back to where they felt was a place of familiarity and comfort. And finally, the penny dropped. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Now between Sarah, our second child, and Christopher, our third child, I had a number of miscarriages. We were due to go to house group one evening, and yet again, the early signs of another miscarriage began. Yet I felt compelled to go to the house group. I had determined not to say anything until a young, single man at that group asked me what the matter was. Well, that finished me off. It didn't take much. <laughs> and I sobbed out that it looked like I was about to lose another pregnancy. Now this person, a, a young man, a single young man, faced me full on and said, are you going to believe the promises of God or the lies of Satan? Now, I knew the answer to that one. So I replied, promises of God. However, he kept asking me the same question and I kept muttering the same reply, intently studying the carpet at the same time. Then after at least eight to nine repetitions of the above, something clicked within me. I met his eyes and I said, promises of God. And he didn't ask me again. He didn't need to. Something had gone from head knowledge to heart knowledge. <laughs> and Chris will be 29 next birthday. Now that young man journeyed with me until I got it. Then he stopped. Jesus turned, journeyed with Cleopas and his wife until their eyes were opened. Then he disappeared. He trusted them. He didn't need to tell them what to do next. They knew. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This couple had been met by someone from another place with a different perspective, and he showed them a way out, 
out of their misery, out of their souls being downcast. He reminded them to put their hope in God, not circumstance, not situation, not even what they had seen with their own eyes. Yet look at the way he did this. He journeyed with them, even though they were going in the wrong direction. He opened scripture to them. They had heard, but not understood. He stayed with them until they understood. Despite us hearing the good news, sometimes we dwell in the shadows of despair. We have to move our feet to walk with people whose perspectives are different from ours, even people we might disagree with. And when we walk with God, who we might not even recognize, he will slowly and gently unpick our sorrows until we are left with our hearts burning with hope. Despair is only a shadow of a truth that will disappear when we walk with the Son of Righteousness. As they walked away from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, was this new journey one where they were giddy with the truth of love? Did their steps gain strength as they journeyed? Now, it's in our everyday speech, a road to Damascus moment. People use it even though they have little to no knowledge necessarily of Saul Paul and his conversion. It is the well-known pivotal moment where someone dramatically changes direction, sees the light, realizes they were headed in the wrong direction. Miracles, voices from heaven, scales, blindness. It's all there. Now, I haven't had a road to Damascus moment yet. But I have had many road to a moment to Emmaus experiences, excuse me. Sometimes it is just when I go out for a walk, alone, thinking, pondering, turning a disquieting thought over and over and over in my head. And somehow, gently, persuasively, the Holy Spirit nudges me off that journey, off that thought pattern into a different viewpoint, a different perspective a longer view. Do I not know to put my hope in God? Will I now choose to praise him? Sometimes it's when I talk things through with a friend, someone I trust. They show me that the situation is not without hope, is not without God, that I am not alone. And finally, I want to revisit the middle part of the story when Cleopas and his wife implored this man, this Jesus they did not recognize, to abide with them. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Wherever we are on our journey, at the beginning, middle, or like these two, at the end, we can ask Jesus to stay with me, us. And he will, for he has promised to never leave us or forsake us, whatever our journey looks like. We have hope, hope in the one who came to this earth in order that we would not be left without hope. The one who built a bridge that had been broken by shame, a bridge that allows us to walk across it into fellowship with God. Hope that beyond this, 
beyond what our senses tell us, that we do not need to give in to being downcast, to having our souls disturbed within us. For we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, we are on a journey, but we must keep our eyes fixed on a bigger perspective alongside what we can see in our immediate, for we have hope. Thank you.